You're listening to Discography Discussion, episode 218, Him. Oh, hell yeah, we're talking about Hum. I love Hum. No, not He said Him, not Hum. The fuck? Guess that's fine. Fuck yeah, it is. We are talking about Him, one of my favorite fucking bands that's not named Every Time I Die. Uh, I have teased that we're doing this episode, uh, I think all the way back to the death episode where I said, you know, there's a lot of nostalgia. Uh, everyone's attached to this and you're defending records that I think suck. <laughs> and I know that it's because there's nostalgia attached to it. So uh, and there's going to be a band that I'm sure when we talk about them in a few months uh, that I'm going to have to be basically defending some of records, I think, uh, and some songs. And here we are. We are talking about the band Him. And I'm very excited to share my love of this band with everybody listening. And I'm really hoping Dan and Joe don't make me really upset with their uh, their opinions. Hosted by John Beatty, ladies and gentlemen. No. Dan Terry and Joseph Wren. Presented by DiscussMetal.com. And if you kill loneliness with five pounds of eye makeup, then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe. That is Dan. You all know who John is. He took over the intro, and I'm going to let you have it this one time because, good God, John, it's finally that time of the year. We're slowly approaching New Metal May, and we're going to send off the first part of the year with what I believe is your favorite band of all time, Him. I'll put it this way. I have more him related tattoos than I do every time I die. So I think that kind of shows you the, uh, the, ju- the, uh, what is that called? Um, pedestal, the, uh, the ranking. There we go. That's the word I'm looking for. The ranking of, uh, these two bands for me. John is so psyched. He can't even think of the right word. I, I can't. I love this band that much. And I, I mean, let's be honest. This is a band all about love that built their whole career basically on the foundation of love and all forms, practices, theories, metal versions of it it's all there hiding in the deep shadows sometimes the brilliant highlights as we will come to find out maybe hidden on razor blades filled with romance the greatest love songs of all time his infernal majesty indeed that way better name for a band so while joe's kind of looking up something one of my favorite uh tidbits of information about this band because dan likes to do this on occasion with some of the bands that he's super passionate about so for a while, the moniker of him kind of grew to this weird lore of what does it actually stand for? And at one point, I remember my favorite one was that the band said, uh, oh, it stands for Hanson is murder when Hanson was a big thing. That's my favorite memory of this band. I hate to say that because it was such a long time ago. Well, before John decides to steamroll over this ad read, I'm going to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, then you can find everything discography discussion at discussmetal.com. We are on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. So if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It lets us know you're listening, and now Dan is going to tell us all about five-star reviews. Podcast reviews are pretty cool, but I know of something that's actually a little bit better than reviews, because not every podcast catcher has them. Dan, what is one of the better ways that we can actually support the podcast and get the word out about it? Oh, well, definitely you can subscribe to our Patreon, baby. No, sorry. Woo, give uh, me that money. $1 a month gets you into that exclusive album review feed. 
five-star reviews are really great. However, uh, they are kind of limiting only right now. Unfortunately, people who have Apple devices are able to leave five-star reviews on iTunes. But beyond all that, what's actually something everyone can do is uh, share the episodes. Uh, if you follow us on the social medias, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, when you see the new episodes pop up, please you know, retweet, reshare those. That helps out tremendously and that gets it into everyone's feeds and is helping this show grow. And it has been growing tremendously over the last few months. And we can't thank you all enough for doing that. That is helping so much. Um, so I think that... <laughs> As Dan Whittley Whittley's over there on his guitar. <laughs> Who says John Beatty can't steamroll over this ad read? You know what, guys? You guys can just go home. I'll just do this whole episode by myself. I'll call in some guest friends. Sweet. <laughs> we got a comment on YouTube about episode 186, Parkway Drive. A random album says, I'm glad you guys have heard Get a Life by Limp Biscuit." That song is underrated. The chorus is obnoxious, but I love the rapping and the verses. Uh, I agree with you, but I, the, for me, the chorus is the best part. Fred Durst, just, you know, get a life. Get a motherfucking life. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I love it. Dude, I think it, that album is all about douchebag, right? It's all about douchebag. I'm going to fuck you up. Fuck you, <laughs> fuck you, fuck you up. Yeah, that's that's one of the best Limp Bizkit songs ever written. Uh, I've listened to Get a Life more times th last year than I listened to NF's Returns. So, you know, think about that for a second. So, Dan, tell me about him. Oh, I'm definitely passing the ball over to John on this one. John, tell me about him. And, of course, we are talking about the Finnish band, not the uh, American post-rock band. I have a very funny story about that as well when we get there. All right. Um, him is a Finnish gothic rock band from Helsinki, Finland, uh, formed in 91 by singer Villa Vallo and their bassist Mij. And uh, basically the moniker started as his Infernal Majesty and then got shrunk down to just him. And, uh, you know, they put out a debut EP, uh, which we're not going to talk about. So just disregard that. But if you have Google, you can find what that record was. Uh, first record is Greatest Love Songs, Volume 666. And I say we just stop fucking around. Stop. Stop with the uh, uh, what's that thing that married people have before foreplay. That's right. When you're not married, you don't have foreplay. So uh, let's let's stop the foreplay and get right into this. John, I don't think you're doing it right, man. <laughs> no, when you're married, you don't have time. And especially when you don't have kids or because you have kids, you don't have time for foreplay. It's like, all right, let's just get right to it. I'm going to let you guys down handle the business. that conversation. Right. 1997. Riffs. Uh, yeah. So one of my favorite things that Dan said this week actually was, uh, spoilers, Joe's going to bleep it out, so I'm just not even going to say it, but we're, we're talking about a band coming up. And he goes, boy, after the last record by so-and-so, uh, this first hymn record sounds like Slayer by comparison. Yep, absolutely. And I died laughing for a hot minute about that because it's absolutely true. Uh, in comparison to the other band in that record, it, this absolutely comes through and just pummels you uh, in comparison. But um, this is a really interesting record. Um, it's kind of an interesting amalgamation of like kind of slow, trudgy, almost like doom, uh, stoner doom uh, riffs at times over like really poppy cure-esque um, vocals and kind of really interesting like keyboards that, you know, are add just a really nice ethereal pace to it. It's it's basically a cure meets typo negative and just mash them together. And basically you have this first record. Um, I'm not going to say that everything is is as it will be moving forward. But there are definitely some great songs on this record. Uh, you know, looking at like when Love and Death Embrace really love that song. Um, you know, there's a couple of covers on this record uh, that are pretty good, but will be kind of redone down the road uh, with some of them. Um, 
songs like It's All Tears, fucking banger of a song, our Diabolical Rapture. There's so many great songs on this record, a great showing uh, for a first record from a band that you probably didn't know this record existed and probably went back and found it later on. But uh, if you are not familiar with this era of the band, I highly recommend you go back and listen to this and kind of see where they started because it is integral to where they end up down the road. I was very surprised whenever I heard this record because I was like, wow, this is not the band I heard on MTV. <laughs> uh, like, like, like at all. Uh, I was I was very blown away. This this definitely has kind of a um, the cure meets typo negative uh, sort of feeling to it. I'm glad you both have brought up the cure now because I Love feel like I'll get away with saying this. Most people in America, speaking from experience, when I was in high school and everybody was talking about him, general consensus was it was that band that Bam Margera likes along with CKY, and the band from a cosmetic point of view looks like they're much heavier than they actually are when i listen to him i hear the cure influence i hear that laid back rock with very intense subjects and that part of the band is what i like and i'm going to come back to this point later on this album i'm with you dude this sounds like typo negative just sludge dirge rock slow very intense very methodical with these riffs it's just forcing you to slow down and feel similar to what Marilyn Manson did back in the day. I don't hate this album. And I'm a guy that's very outspoken. I do not like him most of the time. I blame MTV for that. This is probably my favorite song on, or not song, but my favorite album by him. Just because, you know, per my comment earlier, it, it really made the last band we were listening to sound like Slayer in comparison. Uh, or no, this band sounded like, I said that backwards. John, John said what I said way better than I said it. <laughs> uh, but let's just put it this way. We were listening to a band that was not really super metal. And then I jumped into this one and it was much heavier than I was anticipating. And I hadn't listened to him in such a long time that I was kind of like, huh, I have no idea uh, what's actually going on here. You know, um, I guess I didn't remember enough of what the band initially sounded like um, to really make a good determination. But this one's probably my favorite out of all the ones I listened to this week. It's definitely a good first entry, but I think until we kind of get to like a little bit toward parts of Dark Light moving forward from there, this isn't really necessarily indicative of where the band where the band sounds going to go starting on the next record, which we can talk about that now. 2000 Razorblade Romance, the album that I both love and hate at the same time. Let's see, is that the <laughs> is that the do you feel do you uh do you feel the way you hate or do you love the way you I don't remember. No, I'm thinking of Razorblade suitcase. Never mind. <laughs> no, this one is your love is a Razorblade kiss. I guess. Yes, it's so beautiful. I love it. Razorblade romance. Uh, I have to admit, I was pretty much sick of the lyrics at this point, which is a <laughs> which is a damn shame, uh, because I'm not going to get a whole lot of different uh, ty types of approaches here. Uh, but you know, I'm going to leave that part alone, lest I get torn apart. Uh, I thought this record was much more um, much more pure, less typo negative. <laughs> And um, welcome to him, my friend. I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't completely it wasn't completely gutted. Like there's some decent riffs on here. And I, I generally like the song. Right? I like the way the songs flow really well. But um, I like I like Big some of the weird part. vocal effects and stuff. But beyond that, I don't know. This one really didn't do anything for me. I would say this is the only him album I can comfortably go back to and listen to without mm. hating it all the time. Wow. 
<laughs> I want to be clear, John. I don't like him. After I this week, I have gained an appreciation for the band because I found the cure in it. Okay. So I have the most experience with this album. This is what I listen to. I love Razorblade Kiss. This is before the MTV onslaught of Wings of a Butterfly. And I have said on many occasions how much I can't stand that song. So I want to tell you that this is the high point for me. But after this week, the whole band has kind of been lifted up. So my previous perspective is currently a work in progress. We still got the riffs. You've got that unique sound with the vocals that this band delivers throughout the career. Very laid back, almost like you tipped the scale between Marilyn Manson and The Cure, which I mentioned before. A little bit. So it it's something that did not come from the American rock or the American metal scene. It's entirely of another country, another culture, another part of the world where everybody just has different opinions about what is good. And the parts of this that I really do like, I like how laid back it is, <laughs> but it's hard to look at it and say this is supposed to be laid back. That's a problem with me. It's not a problem with the music. <laughs> um, I think for me, like, you know, this this was the breakout fucking record for the band uh, in most territories other than here in the States. Uh, later on, when it got re-released uh, under the Her moniker, you know, it definitely got the, the love here in the States that, you know, it rightfully deserved, in my opinion. Um, this is, you know, something Dan kind of said, you know, this, this has a good flow. This is the first time, so like, where I feel like Greatest Love Songs kind of was a little rough around the edges, kind of relied on some covers, kind of relied on, like, we're either this or we're this, and we haven't really kind of figured out how to find the balance between the two. This definitely is the album where you're like, okay, you like you've kind of put it together. You're able to kind of find that balance between heavier riffs, kind of more melancholic, you know, style songs. I'm thinking, you know, a song like "Join Me in Death," you know, very piano laden, and then like it's like the guitars are there. And I'll definitely say when you see this band live, the guitars are fucking walloping you, even over a song like "Join Me in Death" or whatever. But for every one of those kind of you know, Poison Girl, whatever, you have like really fucking cool. Um, excuse me. You have like really cool riffs and shit like that, and some really interesting songs. Like, you know, you have a song like uh, "One Last Time." I think it's pretty interesting um, with the weird like I don't even know what the fuck that effect is. I've never understood what it is, um, but I always think it's kind of cool how it shifts into what I presume is either the guitar through a like massive fuzz pedal, a big muff pedal, or something, or that straight up the bass into this weird kind of typo negative. Uh, what, what's that song by typo? Um, the one that kind of even has the same sort of arrangement sound to it. Um, and that's the thing that's interesting to me when a lot of people can say like, well, Typo is really heavy. And it's like, I think people forget how much melody there was in Typo's music, which when you go back and listen to, you know, blo uh, not Bloody Roots. <laughs> when you go back and listen to Bloody Kisses and stuff like that, like you can find the melody in a lot of Typo. And it's a lot more, like Joe said, it's more laid back. And I will say this is the first record to have their drummer gas 
uh, on the record. They, they had a drummer switch uh, between the records. And I think he kind of is able to kind of sit back on the groove with the rest of the band. And I think it adds a completely new dynamic that you hadn't heard that up until this record. Um, it would have been interesting to kind of see these songs uh, be demoed in a live setting over the course of From Greatest Love Songs to the release of Razor Blade Romance. But absolutely, this is the record, I think, uh, internationally that broke this fucking band from being a small band that everyone kind of was like, hey, check out this band, to this is the band everyone wants to fucking see at this point. Your girlfriends love them. There's riffs and heavier shit for the dudes to like. It's the perfect, you know, goth couple music. So music for vampires is what you're telling me. It's just like, it's Dracula's songs for his girlfriend. I mean, it. it um, this is exactly what I would have imagined the Vampire Lestats band to actually sound like. I was going to just say that. As opposed <laughs> to what John Davis said they sound like? Yeah, I mean, John Davis's Vampire Lestat band just sounded like corn. Uh, <laughs> so, which is fine. You know, I guess you want that. But if we're being really realistic and you go with all the melodrama that exists in the Anne Rice books, this is some straight up vampire metal shit. And I don't mean shit as in like it's shit. I mean, sometimes I think it's shit, especially when we get to the next record. Oh, <laughs> man. I, I, so I really should have pulled the fucking plug and gotten uh, James Hart from 18 Visions on this. Because like, especially for the next record, that's like his favorite record out of the whole discography. Uh, and we I talk about pull the, the trigger so bad right now. We talk about that record so much and gush over it. Like anybody that I know that's a huge him fan Deep Shadows is basically usually like the go-to, like this is everything I love about this band is on Deep Shadows. 2001, Deep Shadows and Brilliant Highlights. Um, I feel like I should just go last every time because I feel like the the, the flow well, of everything ahead, is going to be like Go ahead and explain this one to me. And then it's going to be negative. But um, God, man, this is like saccharine sweet goth pop, basically. Like... Song like Salt in Our Wounds to open the fucking record. What a what a fucking chorus. Holy shit. I song so good. Um Heartache Every Moment. Like honestly, I can go through the whole fucking record and I'll be like, yep, all bangers. Love every single song. Love how it's ordered in the Are they bangers, John? For what this band does. Are they bangers, John? They are for what this band does, absolutely. Bangers, and I think that's the thing that like we we sometimes mistake as as metal fans. We assume bangers have to be like Yo, it's got to have slamming ass riffs. It's got to whatever. To me, a banger is a song that just is fucking good through and through or a record that's good through and through. Deep Shadows and Brilliant Highlights. It's definitely probably not the record. If you are not familiar with the band, you're probably going to walk away and go like, that's the worst record out of all of out of the whole discography. But really, when you go back and start listening to it and catching all of the the minutia in the record, you're going to start catching a lot of what makes this record so, no pun intended, so brilliant uh, in its approach. And it's, uh, you know, as much as Joe said, the last record he felt was laid back. This felt like to me in a non-traditional way of being kind of like a jam band, like being in a room and just jamming together and writing songs. This feels like a record where the guys just got together, wrote these songs, and they feel very cohesive in a way that even, you know, the Razorblade Romance didn't. Uh, even though those are great songs, this feels more like a band working together and kind of firing on all cylinders with within their strengths collectively. So if the Cure reference from earlier was not obvious at this point, this is the album where you can't argue that this band really wants to be the Cure sometimes. 
For sure. But I mean, like, is there a problem with that? Like the cures of as musicians, even if you don't like the cure, the cure as musicians, especially Robert Smith, are amazing musicians who write really interesting, quote unquote, pop music that's not really in a pop structure. And I think him has carried that torch and ran with it in writing not traditional pop songs. I don't think it's a bad thing at all. I just think there's a lot of people that like The Cure, and there's a lot of people that pretend to like The Cure. And I think that same thing was true in 2001 with him. A lot of people put 75 cents in a machine and pulled out some stickers and said, oh yeah, him is my favorite band. Look, I got their sticker along with Silverchair and whatever else was in that machine at the bowling alley. Not speaking from experience, but there were a lot of tool stickers on a lot of binders. Dan knows exactly what I'm talking about. My point is, the band wasn't represented the way I wish they were back in the day. It was like they were trying to sell them as a popular metal band. They're just a fucking rock band. Oh, yeah. And I dig that aspect of the band. I don't have to explain it to anybody. It's not like there's a deeper meaning here. It's just fucking love songs. I'm going to make a claim later on about other records that kind of copied this style and did a good job in my opinion but there's nothing wrong with this it's just not what i was into in 2001 and i think that's entirely local that to me says that this band came from finland they didn't come from america where new metal was the shit in 2001 i think that i think this band is fine <laughs> why do i feel like this is the offspring episode <laughs> i mean but it, it kind of is in in the sense that it is so far out of what i normally uh would listen to and would check out so like i don't have any valid criticisms as to why it sucks or or but i also equally don't have valid criticism on why it's good every now and again something out of my wheelhouse will strike me in a certain way uh kind of like nf did but uh and kind of like the offspring didn't you know it ended up being pretty much exactly what it was and i think that's kind of how i feel about him especially on a record like this yeah they're playing to all their strengths and their strengths unfortunately just are not my thing uh i'm not really into the cure i'm really not into typo negative um not that i and but i mean i i do notice you know because i'm not deaf I do notice a shift towards a more commercial sound on this record, um, but not done in like a, we're going to play what's more popular, but like more of like paying tribute to like the pop rock bands of old. Right. The 80s influences here, even if the instrumentation is late 90s, early 2000s. Man, I, I just, I love this fucking record. It's, it was one of my most stolen CDs. I had to import this motherfucker, I think four or five times because I, that back in the day when you had to import your CDs. Um, I remember. Yeah. And yeah, this was one of mine that got stolen quite a bit. Um, But man, the production on this, I honestly, I just, I can't say enough good things about this record. It it is up there is probably one of my more favorite records. Like I said, like talking with James Hart from 18 visions, talking with uh, Tyler Joel's from kill switch's brother. I didn't think I've mentioned this to Tyler uh, to Joel even. So I know he's a big him fan. But it's like, you know, there's just something about this record for for a lot of us, like long time him fans that we're like, there's just something about this record that just hits differently than all the rest. And I think that's just why we love it so much, because it's it's just a, it's a vibe and it's a mood. And it's not a it's not a collection of singles like, you know, Razorblade Romance, you can kind of skip around. You might be like, I want to hear like Razorblade Romance or I mean. I want to hear right here in my arms. I want to hear Razorblade Kiss. I want to hear these songs. This is put it on start to finish. Just sit back and enjoy it. Um, and I think moving forward, that's actually something they start doing a lot better is 
thinking about a record as a whole and creating a, a vibe from start to finish. Is it time for Love Metal? Fuck yeah, it is. 2003. Now, this is the band that I heard on MTV. <laughs> Fair enough. It's not as poppy, I think, as the last record. I think this was more of like, a, where, where are we at now? What year is this? I know Joe just said it. Uh, 2003. 2003. 2003. So we're starting to get, we're starting to get that edgier, more more hard music going on. Not that I'm advocating that this is hard music, uh, but for whatever reason, him just showed up. I think in popularity in the states at just the right time where everybody was trying to check out different types of of, of metal. And even though I wouldn't necessarily call this metal, even though it, they called it they, they called it metal, it's more metal than the last record. So we get a little bit more of that riffing. We get a little bit more of that kind of gothic mood, gothic melody, and the masses just ate it up, man. This was definitely uh, at the peak of, as Joe mentioned earlier, Bam Margera's uh, influence on being a tastemaker musically. You know, he was bringing Guar, he was bringing Cradle of Filth, he was bringing him, CKY, he was bringing even bands, younger bands like Vanna to the forefront uh, of music masses, even basically almost essentially being an A&R person. Uh, I forget for what label, but I know he, they put out like two Viva La Bam compilations and it was just full of bands that like most people weren't really aware of, Clutch even. Um, and it's one of those things where there's no way you can talk about this band and not talk about the influence of Bam Arger and what they he did to bringing them into the States. Um, and you can't really not talk about the influence that the CKY videos at the time had on growing this band with using the videos and the songs. You know, I think for as much as fans of CKY, the band will say IDR is one of their favorite records because along the CKY videos, we got to listen to the demo versions of a lot of those songs. So IDR becomes this, this cla instant classic, basically, because we had so much memories associated with the music being the soundtrack to our childhood and, and childhood you know memories associated with being with friends that maybe we're not friends with anymore i think this record for him is kind of the same in the sense that you know there was the demo version of buried alive by love which was buried alive by you which was in i think cky4 and you know really kind of started growing uh, the band's brand here in the States, you know, Bam obviously adopted it, the heartogram on his skateboards and everything else of his. And it kind of started blurring the lines of like, is the heartogram the band's or is it Bam? And, you know, with him, with Bam, I have to clarify these things sometimes, with Bam basically starting to tour with him and doing tours uh, where he was kind of the MC of sorts on these tours, uh, there's a lot of cross-pollinization that happening on the during the love metal era that as me being a fan, it was one of the first times I got to see the band here in the States. And I remember at our show, it was full of like diehards like myself. So a couple of songs in Villa was like, yo, seems like you guys know our material. Just start shouting out music and if, or songs. And if we know it, we'll fuck play it. We're, we're abandoning the set list. There you go. And it was one of like the coolest shows I'd ever really seen because if, up until that point, I'd never seen a band of that stature really you know do something like that and it's it is very weird and i don't know if either of you guys have really ever seen a foreign band come to the states where you're such an early adopter of the band like i kind of came on right toward the like deep shadows was my first record i had in, in real time like when it had just come out and so for me love metal was the first time i got to see the band live and to see this band that you know had been around for at this point almost you know you know has three records four records and 
has this the story thing like where they're basically a, an arena or not an arena but like a decent club sized band overseas and almost everywhere else and they're a very very small club band here in the states initially it was really weird to kind of be like it's still my band because like in metal we kind of talk about like the underground and having our thing like when we find our bands and to me when i saw the band the first time i was like it's still my band it's still that band i fell in love with a few years ago and then went backwards and found all these other records but very quickly was my little underground band kind of taken from me and thrust into the limelight and then a lot of i'll say casual fans at best kind of came on on love metal it's a great record to come on to uh and that sounds terrible to say like that but i mean there are there are riffs like you know you got songs like soul on fire i love the song endless dark that's probably one of my favorite songs on this record you got the very kind of almost sabbathy-esque uh the path at the end and i know it may not sound like a Sabbath influence very like upfront where you're like, Oh, there's clearly the, the influence, but it's like, it kind of takes you on a path musically. Um, songs like, uh, you know, like I said, soul on fire, buried alive by love, uh, even beyond redemption. Like there's, there's just a lot of great songs on this record and it creates a vibe uh, from start to finish. And, and the track listing was really, I think paid attention to, but I always kind of, as much as I love this record as well, it's often kind of marred by the fact that this is where I feel the casual at f- at best fans came on and kind of started ruining what I loved about the band because they were fans of Bam Margera, not because of the band. Nobody can say with a straight face that they don't know who Bam was or what he did, especially with the Jackass crew, because outside of that, area that's where everybody else saw his name and saw his face and i will say if you're not a fan of this band you need to forget everything you've ever been told about them whether it was by bam or by mtv or whoever because the band is just sticking to that rock sound that's just not normal it's not what i'm expecting from a rock band in 2003 and you're right, John. Part of the reason why I did not like this band for so long is because of the people that just wouldn't shut up about the band and weren't giving me a really good explanation of why I should care. MTV, insert name of person that had one album and a sticker on their notebook. You know, I just got tired of hearing about it because it wasn't living up to the hype. Can I cut you off there for just a second? Because I... I God, I'm terrible with this sometimes. How old are you again, Joe? 35. Okay, and Dan, same age? Yeah, sure. Okay, so I got I got almost three years on you guys, uh, almost. So, and, and that's kind of like, the, the only reason I ask is because like, when you say this, like, this is, the interesting thing to me is like, this is the era where like, I was living on my own. I didn't have cable. I didn't really, like, I hung out with my friends. We watched DVDs, like we rented cheap movies and we did things very frugally because we had no fucking money. So when it's interesting when talking to some other people about the perception of this band at at this point in the band's tenure, it's interesting because to me, they were still my underground band and no one, I didn't know really anyone who knew about them because like you were kind of saying, like, I know Viva La Bam was a thing. I just didn't have the capacity to see it in real time. So I didn't realize that like some of these things were happening where it's propelling the band to this height that I wasn't even aware was happening in real time. And so it's interesting when I hear, like you say, like, oh, I I saw it on MTV. I saw these things. I'm like, was that a thing? Because like, I don't know. I have no correlation to that. Oh yeah. It was all over, all over TV. And like, 
this is one of the bands that the music tastemakers tried to sell everyone on. Okay. And for better or for worse, did not succeed. You know what I mean? I mean, they were kind of like Ghost before Ghost. Interesting. <laughs> I like him. I, mean, I like that, him better. I mean, total sense. I like him better than Ghost, but um, I do too. And I really like Ghost. I do think that, like, because I, I remember this band very much being shoved down my throat uh, by other kids, though. It was um, him and Cradle of Filth that everybody would not shut up about. Well, yeah, and it's weird because, like, I'd listen to Cradle of Filth and I'm like, okay, I kind of dig that, <laughs> you know? But then you'd listen to him and be like, oh, yeah, see, it's the same or whatever. And I don't think, maybe it was just like the whole goth thing was what they were trying to get me into. And I wasn't really into that too much. And so I was only here for the metal. So it's like, I listen to one band and you've got Danny Filth doing, you know, what he does. And then you've got, uh, I won't call it black metal screaming. Wow, dude. Uh, we've got him doing what he does. And then you've got him. And it's like, I was like, how do these two correlate? How can you? Because back then, I didn't really care as much about dynamics. So I was like, I don't know how you could like one band and, and I don't know how and, and also like the other. Uh, and there was just a lot of people that honestly, like, and this is kind of goes back to the Pantera thing for me. There were a lot of people that liked this band that I just, that they, that they just happened to be shitty people. And unfortunately, sometimes that rubs off, uh, even though it has nothing to do with it. Like, it's I'm sure it's not this Finnish rock band's fault that somebody that listens to them happens to be a piece of shit. They, you know, like, like they were, they were mega popular. It's, it's uh, very similar to Acacia Strain and, uh, and the shooter, you know? Right. Like, hey, yeah. sorry, you know, sorry he was wearing our hoodie when he killed a bunch of people, but, you know, like, it's not, it's not their fault. Right. And it's not really him's fault. It's just that, and, and this is me, like, following my mother's advice if I don't have anything nice to say, just not to say anything at all. Uh, because I don't think that him is a bad band. I don't think this record's bad. This is the one that I probably, um, I've probably heard the most of over time, uh, but I actually, believe it or not, I actually kind of enjoyed the next one uh, a little bit more than this one. 2005, Dark Light. So what's interesting about this record, and I and I feel I'm going to apologize to the listeners that I'm, this is going to be a very me-heavy episode, but I feel like what's in, been interesting about a lot of the other discography sometimes is... You know, if it's, you know, we'll say like with the Offspring episode, Joe was able to kind of talk about when being a longtime fan, like remembering when certain records came out and and kind of the era or the, the vibe of like what it was, the anticipation of those records. Dan kind of has done the same with a lot of, you know, Zayo when we've talked about that or some of these other bands, like I was really excited about this or this was kind of the culture that was kind of happening uh, around this record and so forth. For me, what was really interesting about this was this was the first record that really was released internationally all across the board. So it hit here in the States, hit here internationally. Everyone got it at the same time. And on the strength of basically Love Metal and them getting uh, U.S. distribution at this point, this was kind of an interesting buildup to this record because like you're like, OK, like Love Metal was a pretty big success all across the board. Uh, good representation of the band. A lot of, you know, gay new fans, old fans were excited about it. With Dark Light coming out, though, you're kind of like, okay, like, now where do you go? Because, like, we've talked previously about how when you get to this level, you kind of sometimes you see bands kind of start thinking, like, okay, we got to appease all these fans now. What do we do? And to me, when this record came out, you know, the first song that they did, and this is back in the day where you only got one fucking song before a record came out, and you better hope that it's the fucking one that gets you to buy your record, Wings of a Butterfly. Now, I definitely will say that that is an overplayed song. I I personally hear at our radio station, our local radio stations, 
I think I maybe heard it if if I did maybe like twice a week. So it it wasn't overplayed in the sense of like, oh, it was everywhere. I couldn't escape it. But I definitely know that this was the song that everyone was playing because all of a sudden now, again, because of BAM, I found this band on Love Metal. Here's this other record. I feel like, you know, I'm I'm, I'm a part of this this cult of sorts. Um, you know, I have, you know, heartogram tattoos, all this kind of other shit. And here comes this this record with these massive expectations for the band to be the next big international band. And I think they succeeded on this record. There are Wings of a Butterfly taken out of the equation because like I will agree that is an overplayed song. I probably don't ever need to hear it. It is crazy to see how big of a reaction it gets live. Like as soon as you like and then everyone's like, it's a great fucking riff, John. But the song is the worst decision that A&R guy ever made. Somebody thought that was going to be the album seller. I mean, I hate to say it. This is the song that doesn't need to be on the album. uh, Yeah, I would definitely say it wouldn't have been my first choice for the single for me, I think Killing Loneliness probably would have been my choice for for first single. I can't believe I um, agree with John Beatty on him. But I mean, <laughs> honestly, though, like this is the interesting thing is for a band that basically could have made another love metal record, which would have been perfectly fine and would appease so many people. What's interesting is they start kind of going back to where they were on Greatest Love Songs, where they start, instead of it being perfectly curated, like two and a half minute songs, now you're starting to venture into the four, four and a half, five, six minute long songs. And they're starting to kind of get back into that kind of doomier kind of side of the band you hadn't seen really in a little bit. And I think that's the interesting thing about this band, you know, with the whole world basically waiting to see what you do. And you kind of revert back to like some shit that wasn't maybe necessarily as popular. And you're like, fuck it. This is what we do. We're kind of an amalgamation of a lot of our influences. And I mean, there are some fucking great songs on this fucking record behind the crimson door. I love that song. Drunk on shadows, dark light under the rose, uh, vampire heart. Great way to start off the record. Um, I love their Ramones cover of poison heart. Uh, I don't know if that was on the standard edition of this record, but it was on a, I think, Metal Hammer uh, thing that I got where it was like the only way at the time to get the, that cover. Um, and for them to recover a Ramon song and make it sound like a hymn song, like that's been the one thing I've always found interesting about this band is they're always able to like hymn up a rec- like a cover. Like uh, so in between this record and love metal there was the and love said no greatest hits collection and they did a cover of solitary man by neil diamond and it's a fucking great song and if i never told you that that was a neil diamond cover you probably wouldn't even know like you'd be like oh that's just a hymn cover or it's just a hymn song um so i always feel like that's the interesting thing about them is even when they cover stuff like they find a way like they even covered turbo negro way back in the day and it sounds like him and if if you have any it's an interesting of, combination, by the way, I was going to say, if you don't have any concept of what Turbo Negro is or what they sound like, the fact that him covered Turbo Negro and made it sound him esque is an accomplishment in and of itself. Um, but this is this is a, a record I really like because we're kind of starting to see kind of everything the band does coming back into a full package. And it's a lot more cinematic feeling uh like this record kind of feels very uh grandiose uh and i think it's funny that while this is the record that basically a lot of people were like oh i'm a him fan 
I also think it was the one where they're like, maybe I'm not because this isn't what I thought the band was. And I kind of was like, great, get the fuck off my boat. <laughs> I think this is the part where the metalhead in me kind of wakes up and it's like, wait a minute. Hold on. Did you guys say like sort of Sabbath-esque, you know? Uh, you start hearing a little bit more of that doom and a little bit less of that goth. And yes, they yep. are different. I know to my to my parents, it always <laughs> sounded the same. He's he's in there listening to that goth music again, and I'm listening to like fucking Cathedral or something, you know. And you know, it's it, so like this record, while didn't necessarily make me a him fan per se, you know, I wasn't like, oh yeah, him. That's my, you know, like I'm into this band now. Uh, it definitely kind of kind of endeared me more to them at least as being recognizable as a quote-unquote heavy band i know they're not gonna ever be like a heavy heavy band but they are uh they're they're trending in the right direction at least on this record they are is it time for venus doom venus doom the venus doom trap i remember this being the album that dan liked a little bit back in the day 2007 to be exact i got it uh at slackers actually I don't even know if Slackers is still around, but uh, yeah, I bought it. I bought it at Slackers, and I want to say I got it for free because it was more of. Um, I think I bought like two other records, and they let me pick a new release out for free. I want to say that was the thing that Slackers used to do. And you went for the Venus Doom. I didn't go for it. It was just the only thing that I had uh, <laughs> to go with. But um, yeah, let's just put it this way. You know how I'm liking how they're trending more in a doom metal direction. Uh, the song Sleepwalking Past Hope um, is definitely one of the coolest fucking doom songs I've heard out of this band. And I really, really, I, I really enjoyed that about this record. I enjoy that um, they're going, they're going into like full on like vampire mode. This is not like, I, I hate to say it. This is not the poppy hymn anymore. They, they've kind of. Okay, great. We're glad we have all these fans and that we're guaranteed a certain amount of record sales for each record. So now we're going to do whatever the fuck we want. And I can't, uh, I, I can't, I can't shit on that. <laughs> I think the thing that's interesting about this record for me is like, you know, like I said, Dark Light kind of saw them come bringing back some of those doom stonery riffs and kind of getting more into Sabbathy territories. This record on Venus Doom just kind of really doubles down on that and sees them kind of going back to where they started, but kind of incorporating a lot more of the pop sheen with it, uh, with their the choruses and so forth. But like, you know, and kind of even influence or kind of even bringing in some like kind of odd time signature kind of stuff if you're really paying attention to it. Um, Sleepwalking Past Hope, like, I mean, shit, that's a 10, <laughs> a 10 minute long song in the middle of your fucking record. Um, Dead Lovers Lane has always been a fucking banger for me. Like, I love that riff. I love how it just kind of, it's kind of almost the perfect hymn song to me. It kind of has like the slow intro-y kind of thing, kind of fast uh, chorus, and then kind of goes into that really trudgy, like, gung, 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 like off-scent time signature uh, kind of groove to it. Passion's Killing Floor, great. Love and Cold Blood. That's a very weird chorus that, like, I remember the first time hearing it being like, I, that was a chorus I wasn't expecting on this. Uh, Bleed Well, you know, great song, Cyanide Sun. I think he kind of even starts off and kind of surprised me a little bit for, uh, if you don't have the deluxe version of the CD, but kind of like a very morose, very solemn kind of way to end the record. Um, I remember a lot of the quote unquote hymn fans that had come on around love metal being very disappointed with this record. And I was like, good. Now you, I don't have to like 
fight to get tickets to go see my band uh, anymore. And I don't have to fight you little 13 year old girls to get up front to see the band I love. Uh, now it's kind of back to those who are really into it because you love the band and the music. Um, Isn't that the that, shitty other side of being a music fan? You only want your favorite so, bands to do so well. Well, I think that's like the the weird thing about this band is they, and you know, that was kind of the thing I was going to talk about is they had this like really weird, like two album, we'll say three with this one, but they really had a two pocket window here in the States, at least I'll say, where I think the Bam Margera hype train took them so far. And there were people who were like, oh, I, I love this band. And then you get an album like Venus Doom. And then they're like, I don't think I like this band it's not poppy like i want it's not a two and a half minute you know core like versus 10 minutes long right and it's like it, it requires you to be a real music fan to appreciate this and to me it's like that's what's this is the album that started separating everyone again where you're like cool you don't like this band you weren't really a fan get the fuck out of here and this is one of the few bands for me where like i had been around for so long with them that i've really seen a band like go from being like that underground they're my band i found them a long time ago and you know like i said back in the day of when this band came out you had to import your fucking cds like it, you had to put money and put time and effort into being a fan of some bands and i i really don't know that we've kind of talked about this on on discography discussion where there was an era and a time where to be a fan of a foreign band you really had to be a fan and you really had to put forth effort to get any little bit of information or music from this band because the internet wasn't what it is today they weren't on all the magazine covers that you could or magazines that you could readily get here and you for damn sure didn't have the access to read all of these foreign publications that were probably written in another fucking language that you couldn't translate anyway because Google Translate wasn't a thing. So in order to be a fan of a band like this, it's almost re like reminiscent. I think one of the few bands that you guys have talked about before me w that would have been kind of similar would have been Soil Work. Soil Work was Dark a band. Tranquility, yeah. Dark Tranquility, definitely. Like the, And even in Flames, to a degree. There were that era bands that basically if you were a fan of them you really had to be a fan of them because it was hard as fuck to get the records and you had to pay some money if you could find the albums you had to pay some fucking money to get those things in here john i and, feel your pain every apocalyptica record before worlds <laughs> collide and has Vela been on, imported and delivered in three to six weeks as i say Vela was on uh, uh the big apocalyptica record that broke uh here in the states like their first big one yeah here in the states, he was on that and I mean, it's kind of weird to even think about that, like that Valo himself became such a, a big global icon as a, as a vocalist that he was he was doing some really interesting shit at this point. Like, you know, he basically was bringing the Rasmus uh, to the States. He was bringing the 69 Eyes to the States, another BAM band. But like, I know that uh, Valo and uh, Yerke, the singer of 69 Eyes, they collaborate all the time lyrically. Uh, I know that Valo also was tapped to do uh, Black Number One at the Roadrunner United thing, the, the actual live concert. He was never on Roadrunner. I think maybe a record was released uh, via Roadrunner UK or something, but they were never officially a Roadrunner band in any capacity. So for him to come out and basically do typo negative Black Number One, and by the way, if you ever see that video, he smashed out of his fucking mind. <laughs> so he sounds pretty bad and pretty pitchy uh, toward like the chorus part. But I think that just speaks to how big this fucking band was, and and Valo especially as a, as a singer that like he just they band was 
weirdly on top of a lot of different things. And it's just weird to think of this this band that really isn't they're not pop enough that they would transcend and become so fucking big. But they somehow were this giant international band. And this was like kind of the height of the band itself. Um like I said, this was really the record where a lot of fans were like, this wasn't my hymn. I'm, I'm stepping out, um, which I think is interesting because I think the next two records actually, at least the next one's pretty solid. I, I was going to say they actually they should have just held on because they, they kind of get a little bit more poppy hymn going forward. All right. Venus Doom is the more hardcore release. You have to be a music fan. You have to like the band. You have to be willing to sit down and listen to the music, not just put up with the next two to three minutes of the song that reminds me of The Cure. I wish I had listened to this record more, and I'm glad this week that I got to sit down and actually take in Venus Doom. This might be the high point of the band for me. I'm never going to be as big a fan as John, but I feel like my perspective has changed. I can sit and listen to him now and not hate it. Except for Wings of Butterfly, which I don't ever have to hear again. No. One song of many. <laughs> 2010. Scream works. Love in theory and practice. There's no screaming on this record at all. <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? I want my five bucks back. I want my five bucks back. I didn't get this one. I didn't get this one free as a new release. Uh, yeah. Okay. So this is uh, <laughs> this is sober him. <laughs> It and, is. I uh, you got and it shows. I mean, it's uh, it's very tight musically. I guess that's what I could say. Uh, it's tight. It's, I don't know, man. Th- this record was kind of hard for me to get into. Uh, it's a little too light and breezy for me. It's it's like eating rice cakes. I can eat five thousand rice cakes but never feel full, and that's kind of how I feel about this record. Except, I I wouldn't eat five hundred of these records. Dance having flashbacks to pre love metal. Oh yeah, this is the band I don't like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it happens. I'm sorry. I, I know you love this band, John, so I'm being really, really nice. No, I mean, I think that's the. I mean, that's the thing is like, there's been a lot of bands that we've talked about since I've joined where I knew I was kind of the minority with some of my thinking about some of the records, and I knew that this was coming. And I know because, like I said, I've been a fan of this band essentially two records in moving forward. So. This is one of the few bands I would say outside of Every Time I Die where I have so much like remembrance of these records when they came out and the anticipation for me as a longtime fan of these records that I know you guys don't have. And I know a lot of people don't have. Um, I'm really interested to see what the response to this episode is going to be because I think this is an anomaly band uh, for discography discussion. But I also feel like maybe there's going to be a lot of positive him comments on this like yes i agree venus doom is a great record oh my god i love deep shadows like i'm interested to see where people fall on this and i definitely think it's going to be really like how where you came in and if basically you're kind of one of those quote-unquote fans like i have kind of been joking about where i'm like you came in at love metal because of bam you stayed around dark light venus doom came out and you're like get the fuck out of here this ain't what i want um, so I'm interested to see what the comments are. But for me, Screamworks as a record was interesting because, and I've not talked about this yet, but him is a really interesting band in the sense that they are a very old school band in the way that they 
release their music. So there's always a deluxe version. And a lot of times, too, they do a lot of acoustic versions of their songs. And, you know, they uh, around the time of after Deep Shadows, they put out a box set of singles, basically, from Greatest Love Songs all the way to Deep Shadows. And there were a lot of acoustic versions of the, the, their biggest hits uh, done acoustically by, by Valo himself. Been some of the stuff off of Greatest Love Songs done acoustically, which is pretty interesting, like to hear It's All Tears done acoustically. Um, but it's done so well. like, And I think that's the thing, too. Like a lot of classic rock bands, a lot of these songs start with Valo basically writing them acoustically and then, and then building them up as a full band so that you can break them down pretty easily. What was interesting about that in comparison to Screamworks is there was like a deluxe edition where basically you got the record as it stands by itself, but then there was a whole secondary record where it was all done acoustically. So you got to hear, you know, a lot of these songs, like you look at a song like Heart Killer, which you would think like because of how reliant on a full band arrangement and the, the the keys and so forth like oh well there's no way stripped down that would sound any good it actually showcases how great these songs are at its bare bones and i think that's why i love the band so much and a lot of their song almost every song they do because you're able to kind of see that it wasn't just we kind of wrote these songs it's fluff whatever we're fucking putting this out that it's like it started as a very basic skeleton of a song and then gets morphed into whatever uh, it becomes, which is sort of a play on a, a, a reference to the next episode we're doing. Um, <laughs> but to me, like this, this is a great middle ground again. Um, you know, it still isn't, I'll say, quote unquote, straight ahead pop, uh, pop rock. I mean, you, most of these songs are not in this country. No, I was gonna say most of these songs are definitely past the, the pop format as far as time time allotment. But I mean, a song like Heart Killer, I mean, that was the first single off this record. And I remember being like, yo, wow, we like, what a fucking hit. Like, that's a fucking massively awesome song. But then like to get into stuff like, you know, Ode to Solitude, I love the chorus on that song. And very, and I'm gonna probably fuck this, this lyric up and I've been drinking too, but uh, the opening track uh, in Venere Veritas, uh, love that fucking song, Scared to Death. I think like, you know, the thing that's been interesting about this band from start to finish, no pun intended with that either. I was going to um, say, really? Wow. Yeah, yep. Is uh, I think because Valo, even though a lot of people probably maybe listening to this, don't know that Valo writes a lot of the music too, at least the, the bare bones versions of these. I think because he writes a lot of this, the band's sound never leaves. Like it, it is consistent throughout because he's the main songwriter, but the rest of the band has been playing together at this point for fucking like 21 years, 28 years or something like that. Like maybe not. I think they started what 90, 91 is what I think I said. Um, but I mean, at this point, like professionally, they've been playing out for, for quite a long time. So it's one of those things where the band knows what it is. And like Dan said, they have a built-in fan base. They know that whatever they're going to put out, it's going to do X amount across the board. And I think the fact that they never really lost themselves up to this point, like they never had that like one record where you're like, what the fuck were you doing? Like, I think still is impressive as shit this far into a career for me personally. I think that depends on who you ask, John. There's going to be an entirely different group of fans that have that album. Some of them probably think that's Venus Doom. Some of them think that's Deep Shadows. Back in the day, I was the guy that said, what are you doing? <laughs> 100% because I just didn't fucking get it because 
again, you have an entire group of people that liked the band and then an entirely different group that pretended they liked the band because it was trendy to like the band. I'm having flashbacks to Under Oath about packing the stadium with different types of fans after they put out that one album. That's not the point. I don't think this is a misstep. I think this is a backstep. I think we're just trying to simplify things on this album. I like Screamworks. I think it's a good album, but old school fans are going to hate it because of how laid back it sounds. And I think the early albums are very laid back, but this just has that radio quality of we're not putting as much money into these songs. We're trying to make this album sound a little more simplistic and a little less radio processed. And when you intentionally don't put effort into something, it doesn't come across as effectively. So I can see the diehards hating this, but for me, it's just another hymn record. It's not as good as some of the other albums, but I don't hate it either. I don't think that this is a bad record. It's a little different than the direction that I thought that they were going to go in. Um, and I think that that, you know, because I, I remember just seeing the title and seeing the nun on the cover and being like, you know, ah, oh, Screamworks, you know, like that. They were kind of heavy on the last record, and now on this record, they're, you know, it seems like they're going to be heavy again, and they just kind of weren't. Um, but I also don't know what I was expecting. I mean, if, if you're if you're going into him expecting to get heavy records, you know, maybe be surprised when you get one, but don't go in there as your expectation. 2013, Tears on Tape. Aptly titled. This band really does want to be the cure. I mean, for as much as Dan was just saying basically that the band kind of went a little more, I don't want to say pop, but like went a little more like mainstream or whatever, or back to it. I mean, I think like you look at a song like All Lips Go Blue. Um, honestly, I can kind of point to a handful of songs on this record. And I'm like, it definitely goes back to what the band has been doing basically since Dark Light, where it's like you get a heavy riff, you kind of get like a whatever, like kind of slower verse, kind of followed by a chuggy you know, rest of the verse or whatever. Like, and that's the thing that's interesting about this band is like, even when you kind of go, oh, they're following their own formula. Here's the formula. It's still not like a traditional formula for quote unquote success. Right. Like to me, like, and they're, and they're not traditional song arrangements that you would be like, oh, well, this is, if you're trying to appeal to the common denominator of music fans, this is what you would do. Like, we all know that like you follow verse, you probably could even do a pre-chorus, verse, chorus, second verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, outro. And that's basically the formula for a pop song. And you probably would even keep, do a key change on the last chorus, which I fucking hate key changes. But this is a thing where when you really break down what him does, it's still very anti-pop. Like, you know, for as much as like anti-American pop. Sure. But like what's interesting about it, though, is like you, you still like in, in listening to all these records again this this last couple of weeks for me, uh, just for a refresher of being like, oh, like I love all these records. Um, it was one of those things like I, I kind of was reminded a little bit of like when we had that sweet spot and Joe sort of mentioned it and Dan made a joke about it in the beginning of like when you had bands like Bush, when you had bands like Smashing Pumpkins who were writing like anti pop pop songs that somehow they were able to right hooky stuff but like when you really broke it down you're like but this isn't really a pop song like why did this become a crossover hit and i feel like that's the thing that him has done throughout their career somehow is 
writing hits and writing catchy stuff, but they write it in their own way that I've not really ever heard a band do. Not in the traditional sense, like where you're like, oh, clearly there's the formula. I don't think it's predictable. Especially not on this record. There's a lot of weird kind of like start stop sort of sort of things. There's a lot going of on. weird start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Obviously, a pop fan's not going to pop it on and be like, "Oh yeah, this is exactly what my soul wanted to hear today." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that being said, I do enjoy this record as a final record. I, I don't know if it's their final, but it's their final for now. I mean, it's been a it's been a it's been a hot minute since this thing came out and um i think as a final listening experience i found this one more or less enjoyable um just because of the unpredictability a little bit more like feedback ringing out just kind of all that shit that i kind of like it's not it's not the cleanest record that they've released it's a little bit more noisy got a little bit more bounce to it um and you know solos It's a little bit sloppy especially for him but it retains those influences that brought us to the fucking dance i hear the sabbath in places i hear the cure i hear the pop sensibilities that are not american pop like dan said so this it's not a bad way to end it i don't know what's going on with him i wonder if there's going to be a new album and i don't think this is a bad place to continue with the band if that's what they're going to do i'd like to hear another venus doom but I don't think that's what the majority of people want to hear. Um, as far as what's going on with the band, I mean, I know we don't typically do this on the show, um, but, you know, obviously kind of being a, a big fan of the band. Uh, so most of the band itself, um, like a lot of bands that have been around this long, you know, there's there's side projects. There's, you know, Daniel Lineye, which was uh, the guitar player, um, who has many, many names, uh, stage names, but goes by Daniel Lina under that, that, uh, moniker. And basically it's, uh, actually the people of BAM, uh, intro theme is Daniel Lina. Uh, but it has Linde, their guitar player on vocals and, and guitar. And Valo is the drummer of that band. And, uh, there's a few other associated projects with the band, but basically at this point, once the band finally, you know, gas ended up deciding he was going to leave, they did a farewell tour, uh, in 2017 and you kind of saw at least here in the states like the the band's uh return on investment basically of coming and touring the states was was pretty low um i remember seeing them on god i don't remember what album it was necessarily i want to say maybe venus doom but it might have been no it was screamworks because heart killer was out and i remember it was a room that holds I want to say about 3000 people and they shut off the upstairs, like blacked it out uh, because tickets weren't that well, uh, didn't perform very well. And I remember uh, Jordan Whalen from Still Remains, a really huge M fan. And him and I have kind of grown to be friends over our mutual love of the band. And us kind of both being like, man, it's really weird. Like no one here. Um, But it was the first time in Grand Rapids uh, where where I live um, and it wasn't an A market. So I don't I don't want to say that maybe our one show is indicative of how their career was going at that point, but it's kind of hard not to. Um, But it's one of those things that as a whole, it's weird to see the rest of the band start another band. And I believe they're called the Flat Earthers, (laughs) which is a terrible fucking name. It is. (laughs) Uh, And they're kind of more in the straight ahead, like rock and roll kind of thing. A little bit of like kind of like 
I mean, you can't when you have like basically most of the band, like you can't like completely abandon like the sound that you have from jamming together. But what's interesting is like where they went more, I'll say kind of traditional, just like rock. Uh, Valo worked with some older pop musicians and they released like a finished like pop record and it's not very good personally. <laughs> Honestly. Um, but he just right before the pandemic hit, he released a four song EP and he kind of redid the, the Hardogram logo and it's basically the hymn sound. And like I said, for a lot of people who probably assume that Valo, because a lot of people just assume the singer doesn't do anything other than just write lyrics, if he even does that. Uh, I think we've seen a lot of bands like Seven Dust where there's the musicians who write most everything and then write the lyrics too, and then hand them to someone else and go, hey, you sing these. Uh, and a lot of people don't necessarily know that. But I think the adverse happens here where I don't think a lot of people realize that Valo is as versed of a musician as he actually is. So when he wrote uh, these four songs, that would be his kind of solo EP of sorts. It has this hymn sound still. Uh, I mean, he was a bass player. He plays guitar. He plays drums. So like, it's not hard for him to figure out how to play what he was always doing. Um, sadly, there was supposed to be more music, but then the pandemic happened. I was actually supposed to have him on the podcast, which would have been fucking huge for me. Uh, obviously, this is like my love letter to the band uh, at this point, but I'm hoping uh, that basically Valo will put out more music uh, and kind of give us the hymn sound we don't have uh, currently. But for me, while this isn't a di digression of the or a delusion of the sound, I wish maybe that Screamworks would have maybe been the last record. Uh, that they did because I feel like this is a little bit uh, like you guys have both have said a little bit rougher on the edges it's a little bit looser and I think other than that first record that they put out I think they've really proven that they're a very tight band in presentation so for this to kind of be as loose as it is it doesn't quite feel like the band that I know and have come to love over the last 20 some odd years uh, personally so this was a good record and I think a lot of people, if you like this sound of the band, you'll enjoy this record for it being the last one. But for me, it was kind of a little bit of a downer to end the career on. Um, I'm hoping eventually, as you know, we can't ever say never say never because Refuse came back together. Fucking Misfits have gotten back together. I'm still putting money on the fact that Lollapalooza or Riot Fest or someone's going to throw enough money at fucking Morrissey and dude from the fucking Smiths, the guitar player. The Smiths will get back together. And that's another band that I actually think correlates to, to him uh, with some of their odd pop arrangements. Um, but for me, this was a little bit of a, a down swing to kind of end the career on. But I'm very much interested to see if we get the band back together where they pick up because they have so many differing genre styles, whatever, that I would be interested to see. Do you go more love metal? Do you go more Venus Doom? Do you go kind of Dark Light? Do you go back to Razor Blade Romance? Or do you go kind of fuck everyone and go back to Deep Shadows and just kind of do something like that? Like, <laughs> there's so many facets to this band and their fandom that I'm, and especially, you know, as you guys have both alluded to, in a non-traditional American arrangement of the way they do things, what do they do if they come back and how do they come back and will the American fans still be there? And that's the interesting thing about this band for me. And I guess that's kind of my final thought guys, John, I think had his day today. Yeah. I think we, uh, we let it, we let him have it by not letting him have it Just on this band. Take that collar off and turn him loose and say, talk monkey. <laughs> well, no, I want to be, I want to be real here for a second though, because like, I think this is going to be one of those things where we're like, Oh, well, John just talked the entire time and Dan didn't say anything. And, 
Joe didn't say anything, and it's obvious that they hate this band. And like, I want to be, I want to be totally transparent. I don't hate this band uh, because I don't because I don't love this band. Like, this is not like okay, this is not like an inflamed situation where like <laughs> I was really into the band and then they just turned to shit. <laughs> You know, and I also don't think that I also don't think that him is a shitty band. Him is just a band that plays a style that I don't really listen to very often, nor do I really appreciate the finer intricacies of. I also want to point out, I did not pick this episode. I did not pick this band. I did not make them. Yeah, I did. This was already predetermined. So when I came on and I got the list of everything we were doing, I was like, oh, my God, I dude thank you like i and it's almost like the reward for doing everything that i've done up until this episode because cattle decapitation yeah like any of those things like and that's the thing is like sometimes for me like you know like dan very much made the comment i was always told if you don't have something nice to say don't say it at all i've approached my time on this show very much the same way where i'm like i may not like this band or i may not like this genre but i'm gonna try to find something where I can at least say I understand that people do like this. I do understand why people probably love this band or whatever, even if I don't. So I'm not going to shit on it. So I'll at least say the fact that I, you guys have both vocalized, like you're not big fans of this band and you're not big fans of the genre or whatever that this is. I'm at least appreciative that you guys showed me the same respect for one of my favorite bands that I have tried to show all you and I think that we collectively, as the three of us, have tried to show fans of whoever we are discussing at the time. Well, I think John had his final thought. Dan gave <laughs> his final thought. <laughs> so I'm going to step up and say, number one, I have the waveform. You and I talked a shit ton today. <laughs> this band surprised me. I don't listen to The Cure all that much. Oh, you should. I like The Cure. And I thought it was interesting how much this band reminds me of The Cure. When I abandoned what everybody else told me about him, what MTV wanted me to believe about him, I just abandoned all preconception and just listened to the fucking band. I like listening to this band, but they're not my favorite. They're not going to be my favorite, but this type of rock music has its place for me. And I'm probably going to reach for a hymn record more this time than I ever would before. So my advice to the listener is you need to forget what you've been told about this band and just listen to it for yourself. It's shocking to me how your cosmetic appearance can be so drastically different in your culture that your musical style just breaks the mold when you try to bring it to another country. Everything about this band should be the darkest, most heavy thing that you've ever heard in the early 2000s. We should hate this band for not being new metal back in the day. But they were so not new metal, they weren't even metal. They were just a heavy rock band, sometimes. Most of the time, they're just a melodic rock band. So you need to make your own decision about this one. And like I said, forget what you know, because I was lied to also. We don't know. Listen to him and decide if it's for you. John says it's for you. And I took his advice this week. Thanks, John. <laughs> Dan, what's your album of the week? You guys know what my album of the week is. It's The Crimson Corridor by Zayo. That was easy. John, what about you? Let me go with a weird one. Uh, it's going to be Sugar Cult Start Static. I know that band. 
Good band. Criminally underrated. For me, it's Motorhead. We are Motorhead. Does anyone really want Motorhead, though? Everybody wants Motorhead. Take us out, DFT. If you've ever been listening to this podcast and you wondered, man, I would really like to suggest a band for these guys to talk about, you can do that in a variety of different ways. You can reach out to us on Facebook at facebook.com slash discography discussion. You can find us on Instagram at discuss metal. You can find us on Twitter at discuss metal. You can send us an email at Dan and Joe show at gmail.com. You can join our discord server. There'll be a link in the show notes. that will take you right to our discord server. And if you want to get yourself some sweet, sweet discography discussion merch, you can head on over to our Teespring store. There'll be a link in the show notes. that will take you there as well. If you want to support the show financially, you can find us on Patreon under Discuss Metal. We have some awesome, awesome things on Patreon that you guys might want to check out. And on that note, this has been episode 218 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things discography discussion. And please send questions and comments to show at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at Patreon.com forward slash DiscussMetal. We have some sweet perks. Give me your money. One dollar a month gets you into that exclusive album review feed. Choose not to bribe. The only chance is not to waste your life. Half hope and have no fear. The truth walks by.